You know, Jess, you were talking about how small our community is. It is, it's it's super tiny, but that's that's what makes it fun for me. I like going out of my comfort zone and talking to business people and doing all that as well. But my my true love as like Al, you know, Al's love is for those young rangers and, and being able to to talk with them and, and inspire them. And I'm the same way with the young special forces guys. What can I say that helps them to get through the day, to get through that deployment, to get through that in enlistment, you know, to give that positivity so that they're not, because all of us can find negativity every day. It's all around us. But why would you want to focus on that when there's so much positive that we can focus on? And that's where, you know, that's my Welcome to the Just Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today, I've got friend and co-host Al Buford with me. Al, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. And welcome to the show. And I'm very interested to talk with my two good friends, Kyle Lamb and Jess Larson today. So Al, for people who missed previous episodes where you've been on the show, can you talk a little bit about your time in the Rangers and then go to the special mission unit and, and then in business? And then will you give an intro to Kyle? Sure. Yeah. I served in the three Ranger battalions and as an operator in a special mission unit with my good friend, Kyle Lamb here, and went into business after that and have been since 2003 in the government contracting space. And Kyle, Kyle and I, I first met Kyle when I came back to Sea Squadron in my second tour there. And Kyle was uh, one of the Somalia veterans. And he has the distinction of being the person to teach me about this very new technology at the time, the global positioning system. Kyle, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That it's with, Al and I became very, very quick friends when he came back to the unit. He's obviously, Jess, you know him. So you know that he's that kind of guy that he, you just he's a guy you just want to talk to and super popular positive guy you want to hang out with. And I learned a lot of lessons just in a couple things. One is having that positivity, always being positive, no matter what the situation was. And then the other thing is it, it blew my mind that Al would leave the unit of his own accord to go back to the Rangers. And because of Al, later on in my career at the unit, I actually left and I went out to first special forces group. And he's one of the guys that, that made that not so scary that you can actually go out and do that. And it's, it's most importantly, you're going to help other people, but the selfish side is it's also going to help you to appreciate the unit more. If you do come back, it's also going to help you to understand what other people are dealing with. So the selfish side of me wanted to, that was the main reason I did that of I don't know. It, I learned a lot of lessons and that's a couple of things I picked up from Al over those years. So you never know what kind of influence you're going to have. And Al was on my podcast a while back and we've had such good feedback on that. The, uh, you know, the positive people that came along in his early part of his career influenced who he became. And that's good. That's what we all want to do. And you just never, you just don't know one, who you're talking to. And two, you don't know who that person will become or what influence you actually have. So I would say for those of us that are kind of in this public space, you know, we, I, I touch a lot of people and I just never know what's going to happen. And recently it's been crazy. I've been getting phone calls from guys like th this is, this is one, Al, this is going to blow your mind for sure. I got a, I got a call the other day from my wife's niece's son and he's in basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And that's where I went to basic and AIT as a 31 Victor wow. tactical communications guy. Yeah. So he says, uh, he actually texted my wife first and said, Hey, I want to see if uncle Kyle <laughs> would be interested in coming down and speaking for the 
the basic training graduation. So That's then, the, so end up what happened was they said, does anybody here have relatives that served in the military? He said, yeah, I got, I have a relative. He's my uncle. And, and uh, he was a special forces guy. His name is Kyle Lamb. And they're like, wait a minute. We've read his books. We've seen some of his videos. So the drill sergeants all were like, you're not really related to him. So then they, to, to make sure he was not lying, they actually had a lieutenant I, from that company yeah. reach out. And I believe, I'm not positive on this yet, but it's not a company. It's a battery because they're field artillery dudes. I believe he may be in the same battery where I went to basic training. I won't know that till I get there, but the first sergeant that I talked to said that was a deal. So bottom line is I had a, I had a conversation with this kid in a sand pit in South Dakota while his stepdad and his mom were taking my wife for a ride in this high-speed racing off-road vehicle he's got. And I'm just talking to him and he started asking me these military questions. And when guys ask that, we all try to be, I mean, I want to be positive because if it's a good guy, I want him yeah. to sign up. And whatever I said, he remembers like it happened yesterday. And I don't remember yeah. hardly any of it. And I think that's the important thing is you don't, you don't know the influence that you have when you talk to people. And there he is, he's in basic training now. And one one of the reasons is because of that conversation that we had in a sand pit in South Dakota. Yep. So anyway, I kind of went long there, Jess, sorry, but I'm a little long-winded. No, that's great. And I mean, there's, there's a few reasons I'm excited to have both of you on the show. One of them is that both of you, you know, reached the absolute pinnacle of the military world and then came out and, and have done great as entrepreneurs coming out the other side. And I want to talk about that. And even though I've covered this, the different times we've had folks from the special mission unit on the show here, maybe for somebody who, who hasn't listened to those previous episodes, I'll talk about what a big deal is that, that you guys stepped out of the unit to go back and, and help other organizations. So I'm going to make a characterization here and Kyle, you jump in and tell me if you think I've got it wrong. Okay. <laughs> but the way I think about the Department of Defense is, you know, I got 2 million people in the military, about 1% are in special operations forces, you know, white side seals, rangers, SF, things like that. They're kind of like the pro athletes of the military to me. And then there's kind of like 1% of the 1% at the Joint Special Operations Command, which are kind of like the Michael Jordans of the pro athletes. And, and so for the two of you to have made it to the Michael Jordan level of the pro athletes and then voluntarily go back to, to, the, to the regular special operations forces and spend your time there and helping people there could, could be seen as a demotion. It could be seen as a, did something go wrong? Did he get sent back there? Like, like there's, can you talk about a little bit of what might've been fearful for you doing that, that you're like, well, Al did it and it was fine. Well, yeah. And, and seriously, part of that is, you know, when, when I went to first group, they're like, so why'd you leave the unit? And I said, because I wanted to. And they're like, no, seriously, you can tell us why you left the unit. And that's why I left. I didn't have an accidental discharge. I didn't, you know, cheat on a travel voucher or something like that, that had caused other guys to get booted out of there in the past. Al and I both left under honorable circumstances. I will say this, my attitude was not good when I left the unit. And some people, this might blow their mind, but my, the reason my attitude wasn't good is because I wasn't getting shot at. And what happened was we had this little event in our country, 9-11. And when 9-11 happened, I was the primary shooting instructor for our unit. And my, uh, my SAR major at the time was a guy I'd worked with a lot. He, he said, well, you can't deploy to Afghanistan because you're the primary shooting instructor. You've got to be here for all these days that you're responsible for on the range. And it just, it tore me up that I couldn't deploy because that's the reason I did everything I did in the military. 
Now, not everybody has the same beliefs that I have in the military. Some people do it because you get a good dental plan. Some people do it because you get a, a good, oh, I don't know, you get a pretty good paycheck there. Some people do it because they they want the fanfare and they want people to say, hey, thanks for your service or whatever, which none of that was why I did it. Now, I, when I first joined, I joined because I didn't want to work on a farm in South Dakota. But then once I got in the military and I realized who I was dealing with, I'm meeting guys that are that are 100% they're me. If you talk to Al Buford and you talk to me, you're talking to the same person. You you really are. We we both were we're you know Al's obviously much swab and deboner than me, but but no, we are. We're very very much alike. And as you start to go around special operations, you'll see that. But I, it 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 was scary. I did it. I got my I got rid of my bad attitude with about two minutes in first group because I was like, what have I done? Why did I do this? And then uh, the unit called me up. I I was supposed to do two years at first group and then come back. And I was a year into that, and they called me. They'd been in a, a big gunfight on 2 April, and uh, they called me and said, we need, we need you to come back. And I said, yes, I didn't check with my family. And then I sat my family down and I said, hey, I'd, I really would like to go back. And they all, you know, they supported me 110%. And their lives were very good out at Fort Lewis, but they supported me. I came back and came back and took a troop as a troop sergeant major and then immediately deployed over to Iraq. And I ended up doing five deployments to Iraq for the current, the current war there. So it, it, that's kind of a long story again, but it, 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 should, it should explain kind of why I did what I did. I, I had a bad attitude. Oh, and then one other thing, one of our mutual friends, a guy named Jody, I ran into him and he was then the first group commander our major. And he said, uh, you should come work for me. And I said, what jobs you got open? And he said, you tell me what job you want and it'll be open. And I kind of <laughs> thought he was joking. He was serious. And then because of that, I went and I worked for him. I was a sniper instructor and worked teaching Safawik and stuff like that. So I was teaching, still doing what I was doing and I wasn't deploying, but I, I, I actually felt more needed when I went there than I did at the unit, because in the unit, there's just so much talent that you're just, you're just kind of a mediocre dude. When I got there, I mean, the, I was working with unbelievable people, but I could teach them at a level of shooting that they'd never seen before. On the other side of that, they could teach me the level of being a special forces soldier, a real special forces soldier, not a fake one like I am living in the unit all those years and not doing a lot of those metal taskings that they were required to do. They taught me so much. I mean, just unbelievable guys. That's so great. Well, Kyle, A, will you tell everybody what your podcast is and what, what you talk about on it? All right. So Team VTAC podcast, and we talk about whatever I want to talk about. So we talk about, a lot of people are surprised because they think it's about guns and very rarely do I talk about guns. It's usually about leadership. It's about faith. I'm a Christian, so I, I'm not afraid to talk about that. We talk about fighting. We talk about tactics. We talk about what's going on in the world. We try to avoid politics until they're so blatantly in our face that we have to say something about it. But yeah, we talk about everything. And as I was saying before, before Al mentioned that we might be able to get you on the show here, I was in the middle of reading one of your latest books. Can you talk to us about leadership in the shadows? Yeah, I got ashamed. I not ashamed, shamed into doing this seminar called Leadership in the Shadows. And uh, I, I worked on that for quite a while. And then I finally went and presented that to some federal agencies. And it was very well received after I kind of got it tuned up a little bit. It took me a, probably three or four presentations to kind of get it close to what I wanted it to be. And then I had a, I had thought about writing a book on leadership because I'd written a couple books at that point about shooting. So shooting the pistol, shooting the AR. And a guy named Matt Busella, who's a former naval aviator and a cop down in Florida, he reached out to me and he said, well, actually, he would be in my classes and he'd say, hey, when are you going to write the book? And I said, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm 
kind of working on that. I'm, I just kind of blew him off, you know? And finally he goes, dude, seriously, when are you going to write this book? And I said, well, seriously, are you going to help me? And he said, yeah, I'll help you. And I said, okay, what's it going to cost? I want to know upfront because this is a lot of work to write a book. And if you're really going to read everything I write and give me honest feedback, that's worth a lot. But what do you want? And he goes, well, thought about for a minute. He said, I want two VTAC t-shirts. And I honestly thought he was kind of joking. So as we got into this project, and then I had a, a, a guy who's now the command sergeant major of, of 10 Special Forces Group, Kevin Dorsch, he was the editor. So these guys both helped me now. We Kevin did make a little money because he was the editor. But when I finished this project, Matt Busella said, all right, you owe me two t-shirts. And we gave him the t-shirts and that was it. But that's what the, the leadership in the shadows, that's where it evolved from. And it's just kind of, it's not just my story because it's, it, it's, I guess it's how I view leadership. I wanted to, you've read some Stephen Pressfield. Have you read any of his stuff? So I really like Pressfield and he wrote a book about warrior ethos. And the warrior ethos book is what I would call a toilet reader. So it's the chapters are short enough for a guy like me. I've got the same attention span of a, of a squirrel and or as a squirrel. And when I read that book, I thought this is something I can, I can deploy with this and I can read it or I can not deploy with it. And when I come home, I can pick it up and I can read a chapter and it's they're standalone chapters. It's, it's, a, it's a very good book. So when I wrote my book, I wanted each chapter to be standalone. Now the book does tie together. However, if you were just to pick it up and only read one chapter, if, you know, if you're at your, I don't know, I've got a guy that my wife goes to and I started going to now, the acupuncture guy, and he's got these stacks of books in his, in his little waiting room. And I always pick up a different book every time. And I read a chapter or something out of something that I would have never have read. And if you had a friend over at your house and they picked up my book, they could read one chapter and they hopefully would get something out of it. So that's, that's where that came from. It was very difficult to write compared to a shooting book because a shooting book is do this, do this, do this. And this will be the outcome on the target. With leadership, you can do everything perfectly and still have a miss on your target. Or you can be completely jacked up with your grip stance and follow through and, and hit a home run on leadership. So it was difficult. It was very, very difficult. I've got some other books I've been working on that are, are equally as difficult. It's, it's just hard because instructional books are easy, but something like leadership, that's such a, I don't know, it's an art. It's not just a, a skill. Well, when it comes to leadership, one of my heroes, like somebody who's an example that's like willing to take a hard look in the mirror and, and look at their own blind spots is Al. So I'm excited to know what questions Al has for you about leadership. Oh, my. Mm. You know, I really enjoyed our conversation, Kyle. Um, after I read your book, Leadership in the Shadows, I was I was trying to come up with one word, and it was really, really hard. You know, and I I I didn't feel like I could do any better than credibility because everything you do as a leader it affects your credibility. You know, like if you make a mistake or if you I don't know. It's just one of those things where it seems to me that it's everything. But I just I like Kyle's different stories about other people's credibility or or other people's one word, like the one guy with the gasoline story. Yeah, yeah. An example. Yeah. You know? There's just so many different stories Kyle has about other people's one word that are also very meaningful, but I still can't get past the one credibility for myself because that, that one's critical. Well, and, and so so that word took me years to, to finally settle on because I'd say, well, really, what is my word? And I didn't come up with that. A DEA guy came up with that and he, he asked me and I thought, well, that's kind of a stupid question. Then I realized I kept thinking about it. So it's not a stupid question if, if it is inspires thought, you know, conscious thought on something. What, what can I get people to think about? Well, that's why I put that in the book because it makes you think, and everybody that I've talked to, I run, I run across 
hundreds of people a year and they come up to me, they go, my word is, and I'm like, okay, that's awesome. Well, tell me how that affects the people you lead. And then they tell me, well, how does that affect the people that you are, you are led by? And they tell me, and I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And then we get those gems like high octane leadership, gasoline, you know, a young special forces guy that didn't get it, but he had a team leader that got it or a team sergeant that got it. And I don't know if I told you this, Al, but that team sergeant that he was talking about, when I went to Kevin Dorsch's becoming the CSM for 10th group, I ran into him and oh, we had a great conversation. I had met him before, Justin Young. I, I'd met him, but I, I, we had a good conversation and I, he's a guy I want to get on my podcast because once again, he's a dude that, you know, him making his guys read that book and, and the, the credit credibility that he has and how that has inspired guys below him and even guys above him. I'm at Fort Bragg. I run into a guy outside. He comes up and he's huffing and puffing. And he's all sweaty. He just got done from doing jujitsu. He goes, wait a minute, you're Kyle Lamb. He goes, my word is, and he tells me his word. And I go, that's awesome. And he goes, I just read your article about the gasoline. He goes, Justin Young, I was on a team with him. So it's such a small little world. You know, yeah. Jesse, you were talking about how small our community is. It is, it's, it's super tiny, but that's, that's what makes it fun for me. I like going out of my comfort zone and talking to business people and doing all that as well. But my, my true love as like Al, you know, Al's love is for those young Rangers and, and being able to, to talk with them and, and inspire them. And I'm the same way with the young special forces guys. What can I say that helps them to get through the day, to get through that deployment, to get through that enlistment, you know, to give that positivity so that they're not, because all of us can find negativity every day. It's all around us. But why would you want to focus on that when there's so much positive that we can focus on? And that's where, you know, that's why Al and I are good friends. We, Al and I have associates, I'll call them, air quotes there, that are really good people, but they're negative. And when they're negative, I don't want to, I, I just, I can't deal with that. I don't want to be, I can take little, little tiny bites of that, but I can't take a big mouthful of negativity because I struggle with that too. So I don't want, I don't want to go down that road. You know, and on the topic of negativity, I can remember, you know, as a young Ranger NCO, there, there I had been exposed to a couple of leaders along the way that weren't terribly positive and something about having been a drill sergeant, what it does to a guy's mind when he leaves that environment and comes back into a unit, they still keep a lot of that God complex and some of that group punishment type mentality. And they bring it into a unit where they're part of a team. And, and somehow some of them have trouble putting that behind them. And, and I've been exposed to a couple of them where I, my attitude became, I need to learn from this person too, because they can teach me what not to do when it's my turn. So that became my way of sort of coping with someone that I didn't necessarily enjoy being around, but I had to until they left or I left. Yeah, that's an awesome point. That's, yeah, that's so true. I, I, I tell guys, they say, who should I go shoot with to learn? And I tell them, everybody, go to every person you can go to. Well, what about this guy? And I go, well, that wouldn't be my first choice if you want to learn the positives. But if you want to learn, you know, there's guys that you can go take a shooting class from or a tactics class or whatever. You can learn what not to do. And that's just as valuable because I, when I step up to teach a class, <laughs> there's things that I do in front of classes that are from bad instructors that I've had. That So I don't go down that because I don't want to see. I'll give you an example. I went and took a class from a guy who's passed away since, and he was a, South African guy, very good dude, but he was he was very negative about the weapon systems that most of us had in his class. So it's a carbine class and he's negative to everybody that's got an AR-15. And there's one guy with a bolt action 308 and he's like, that's now that's the gun. And I'm going, are you serious? Well, he, he made fun of 
the law enforcement guys for carrying car 15s or ARs. And then the civilians that were there, he also belittled them for that weapon selection. Even though whenever we did a shooting eval in that class, obviously every single person beat the guy with the bolt action gun. But at the end of the class, I said, okay, there's two kinds of people in this class. There's those that were issued their weapon, cops or military people. And you're telling them that the weapon that they're issued is substandard. And then there's a group of people that purchased their own weapons. And you're telling them that they were stupid for purchasing that substandard weapon. I've always thought about that because when I, when it comes to, I've had guys say, critique what I'm carrying. And I tell them, I say, there's nothing wrong with the gun that you've chosen. However, we can, we can make it better. Well, how do you make it better? And I don't tell them, throw it in the trash and get a new one. I tell them, let's oil it up so that it'll run more effectively. Let's maybe put a better sighting system on it or a sling or a better holster or whatever. But if that's the gun they have, that's the gun they have. So let's, let's do the best that we possibly can with that. And on the leadership side thing too, I, I, I try to apply that as well. Not everybody is blessed to have the experiences that Al and I have had. We were in the right place at the right time and we made a choice. We didn't really know exactly what we're getting into it. At least I didn't. And that doesn't mean that I should belittle somebody that never served in the military or, or served, I mean, served in another service or whatever it might be. I, I don't, I'm just, we all can learn. We can, we, we can all be positive about where we came from and what we're trying to do now. I see a lot of guys that tell me, I'm really sad I didn't serve. And it's like, dude, you're 40 years old now. Don't stop being sad about that and just continue. You can still serve without being in the military. You don't have to be in the military to do that. I have to tell a funny Kyle Lamb story. Oh, gracious. This is a lie, Jess. It's a lie. I promise you. So this was a rehearsal drill we were doing where we were bounding vehicles in preparation for a trip we were going to take. And Kyle was on the Mark 19 on the turret of a vehicle. And so, you know, one vehicle would move into a cover position and then the other vehicle, they would put down suppressive fire and the other vehicle would bound. And that was the drill. And so you're practicing communication and the coordination and the movement. And it was all a walkthrough. There was no live ammunition. We were just in the woods somewhere. And so, you know, it's a mundane thing for guys who do shoot, move, and communicate live fire stuff and explosive breaching and all that on a regular basis. This was like the most rudimentary thing you could possibly do with guys at this level. But Kyle brings to that event this sense of humor. And this was early in my time in, in my in my exposure to Kyle. And so it they his team bounded into a position. And then Kyle makes the noises as though he's putting down suppressive fire. And it sounds like this. He says, wop, 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 you know, and it just lightened up that whole mundane thing that we're doing. It was great. Oh, I, I forgot about that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought you were going to tell another story that would be more embarrassing. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's it's it it. it, it I don't know. We I don't want to make light of what we're doing, but man, you got to have fun too. There's plenty of time to be yeah. serious. There's a lot of guys that are just super serious. They, I mean, their whole their whole demeanor is you know serious, and their whole demeanor is I'm this bad dude, and mm-hmm. it's all this stuff. And I just I'm the fun guy. I like to have a good time. And the funny thing is, usually I can outshoot all those guys. I might not be able to out PTM because there's some studs out there. But the the bottom line is they're so serious yet when we look at it we kind of smile and laugh because man relax a little bit take a chill pill there you know yeah (laughs) well you know kyle i i look at al and the guy's been you know 
comes out of military and then builds a business that does tens of millions of dollars and and really achieves success from from so many places that that entrepreneurs who spent their whole lives haven't been able to accomplish. And one of his first compliments to you is like, oh, Kyle's awesome. He got out and goes straight into entrepreneurship. He didn't take the safe thing of a job and he just got after it right off the bat. Al, can you tell me why you've got respect for that or what you thought was great about that? Yeah, because in starting a business, you know, you typically need people that do different kinds of things. You need someone who can do your operations, whatever that is, whether it's manufacturing or training or whatever it is your business does. And then you have to have somebody doing like business development and running the backside of your business, the administration and logistics. And basically between Kyle and his wife, and I think Lucas is involved in it, man, they just got him a piece of land in rural Tennessee and built a business from the ground up just by their dang selves. And I thought, man, that that is impressive, you know? And in talking with Kyle, he said, you know, in the early days of the business, it was 80%, uh, the revenue was 80% him being on site, teaching somebody somewhere and like 20% product and, you know, you know, revenue coming in from those other sources. And now that has flip-flopped over the years as he's built his business. And to me, that's, that's huge, huge success. And and the way, what I like is the way Kyle does it, you know, with the positivity and the good sense of humor, you know, being respectful to people, but still setting high standards and holding them accountable for performance and being the very best that they can be as a person and as a performer. And so he does it in a real positive way, which I like a lot, a lot of sense of humor. And there's such breadth to the business. You know, it's it's not just public speaking. It's not just leadership seminars. It's not just books. It's not just podcasts. It's not just training on the range and it's not just product design and innovation it's all of those things and i don't know anybody else that does it that broadly so uh, man my hat's off to you i think you're killing it well it's it's goes back to that whole squirrel thing with my attention span i've got to stay i've got to stay (laughs) on i've got to be in the military we would call it free copping we had these radios that would go from frequency to frequency really fast and that was the that was how they were secure and i always look at my life is a series of frequency hopping days because, yeah, I mean, like what I'm going to do today, I'm going to get off this call and I'm going to take off my shirt and put on my VTAC shirt and I'm going to go to a photo shoot. And then I'm going to take that off and I'm going to go and work in the warehouse. And then I'm going to go take that off and go and write an article for a magazine or whatever it might be. Oh, and we forgot. I didn't mention the forging. You want to talk about that a little bit? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I've always... Whenever somebody tells me no, I say yes, and then I just do it. Whatever it is, I, I can do it. No, I don't care what it is. I can do it. So I wanted to forge, and I, I somehow, my buddy John LaBella from up in Pennsylvania said there's going to be this class. My son and I, we sign up for this forging class. We go to Ohio. Can you talk, can you talk about what forging is? Okay, so. People who don't know. Yeah, some people think for, forging is running around the woods, like collecting mushrooms and stuff like that. But it's not. That's foraging. Forging is taking a piece of steel and, you know, for example, I would take a piece of steel, oh, about the size of this phone, you know, smaller square than that. And I would make that into a tomahawk. And that's what, that's what forging is. So I went and took this first class with my son and I just, I was hooked. I'd always wanted to do that. And as a kid, I had a welder and I worked on the farm and did all that, but I never, I never forged. So I made a tomahawk, I made two tomahawks that weekend. My son made two of them, made the handles. It was just, it was awesome. We went to this guy, Rich McDonald, and he he just a great, great guy. 
I had to get used to the levels of instruction from some of these forging guys versus to what I was used to in tier one unit because they are, they're laid back dudes and they're not, I mean, he's a great guy and he's very smart, but sometimes you kind of got to drag it out of them what you want to learn. So after that, I come home and it took me about a year to put together my own my own kit to forge at my house. So a year later, I fired up the forge that I finally had and I started forging tomahawks out behind one of our barns here. And quickly, my wife was like, okay, you're making a huge mess in our barn. We're going to build a building for you to forge in. And I was like, okay, I just need a little shack. Well, we built a nice building as a, it's got a forge on one side and it has a woodworking and leatherworking shop on the other side that she does. While I, before I moved in there, I, I decided I would make a knife. I had no desire to forge a knife because it's a knife. I'm not, I'm just not excited about a knife. So I forge a knife and it comes out horrendous. It's, it looks like a piece of spaghetti. It, 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 it's, it's terrible. And then I'm like, well, what did I do wrong? So once again, I can do this. You can't tell me, no, I'm going to figure out how to forge a knife and how to keep a knife straight. And I ended up becoming friends. We were already friends, but I hadn't started forging yet, but I was friends with this guy named Alan Elishwitz, who's, he's like the, the father of tactical folders, handmade tactical folders, not CNC, but handmade folding knives. He uses like a guilloche. Do you guys know what a guilloche is? A guilloche is this machine that you use to make watch parts. So like for doing the engraving on watch faces and all this. Well, he has two of these machines that are 100 years old. One is for circular type cutting these patterns and one is for for linear movements. So I went to his shop. He showed me how these work and... I sent him a picture one day of a knife that I just ground and he goes, dude, you, and I, I I'm good with that. I'm, I'm good with you saying you, as long as then you say, and I'm going to show you how to not. And that's what he said. He said, you, I'm going to teach you how to grind knives. I said, okay, well, when can I come to your shop? He goes, you're not coming to my shop. I'm coming to your shop. I'm going to teach you how to grind knives on your equipment. So when I leave, you know how to grind knives. So this dude who is, you know, you're talking about the Michael Jordan, this guy is the Michael Jordan of, of knife making. And he shows up at my shop shop and he teaches me not only how to grind, but how to hollow grind. And for those of you out there that don't understand the difference, flat grinding is just a flat up against a flat belt. Hollow grinding is done on a wheel. So it takes a little bit more precision. Some people are not fans of it, usually because they don't know how to do it. He's really, this guy is super talented. So he taught me how to hollow grind. I started figuring out how to keep my knives straight when I, and, and keeping a knife straight when you heat it up and beat it is, is tricky, but then keeping it straight when you heat it up and you dip it in oil to quench it. And then it's got to be put into an oven to temper it. There's a lot of steps in that process and go ahead. So I can see a hatchet behind you there. Was that like your first one or is there something? No, this behind your head? Yeah, a friend of mine actually made that. Ryan Johnson made that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make that one. I don't, well, I have some in my office here that I've made. I think this is awesome. Yeah, it's Uh, great. You know, when, when. You know, speaking about Fort Lewis, I took my 15-year-old, we went up to Tom Bigley's, who's been on this show as well, and uh, Tom has got a forge, and my 15-year-old thought it was the coolest thing ever to just, to melt anything and start making stuff on Tom Bigley's forge, and uh, it's cool. It's like, I don't know, visceral or something. Yeah, so this, this is one I made. This is the very first tomahawk I ever made. And that's why I still have it because it's the first one. Love it. And then now that says a lot about the instructor to get me to do something like that. Cause that, that's, that turned out pretty decent. I thought. And then the mm-hmm. second one, I don't have like number three through 20 that I've made because those have been used for stay in the fight foundation. But this is the second one that I ever made. And you can see the nice curly maple handle there. Oh yeah. 
And if you look at so, yeah. the handle of this one, look at the one that's above me. You can tell I use the one above me kind of as my inspiration for mm -hmm. the handle there. And it gives you a really nice hold. But anyway, I, I, I let me ask you. Yeah, go ahead. So, so you spend all this time and energy and sweat pounding this metal into these into these hatchets. And then you mentioned the connection with Stay in the Fight Foundation. So you build these and then you auction them for your foundation or how does that work? No, I build them and then I, I'm done with it. As soon as I'm done building it, and, and, and you guys might understand this, you might not. And to be honest with you, I don't care if you understand it because I understand it. And this is for my brain, not really for yours, but this might speak to somebody else out there. My my brain gets what I need when I do that work. My heart is in that metal and in that handle. It's not easy to do this. It's it's very, very difficult. But when I'm finished with it and I lay that up on, up on, I've got a little shelf in there. When I lay it up on that shelf, I'm done with it. I'm totally done with it. I don't, um, I don't think about selling it. I don't think about anything other than what's my next project. So I have closure at that point. So then at that point, my wife says, oh, let me see what you've made. And she looks at the knives and tomahawks and she says, okay, well, here, here's one we can use for staying in the fight foundation. She'll make a sheath for it or whatever. And then we'll say they want something like that. The, the, the word is kind of spread that I'm doing this. So the other day, a guy reached out to me and said, have you made any tomahawks lately? And I just, I hadn't been talking to anybody about it. I just been making tomahawks. So I laid like a half dozen of them out on the floor and I just took a picture and I said, that's what I've made. He comes back and he goes, I want to make two donations and I want this one and this one. And he said, how much? And I said, that's up to you. I, I don't care. I mean, don't insult me, but also everybody has different means. So if you're Craig Morgan, who was the very first person that donated to this foundation by getting a tomahawk, and it, he was like, how much for that tomahawk? And I go, it's not for sale. And then I told him, well, maybe if you make a donation, well, he gave me $1,000 for that tomahawk. Mm -hmm. It ain't worth $1,000, but $1,000 that he gave us to yeah. stay in the Fight Foundation went to help people. By the way, another, you know, Craig, Ranger as well, country music star, super good dude. But that's what happened with that L. That's what I don't, I mean, there might come a point that we auction some stuff. I, I'm not really sure, but the, uh, I, I don't, honestly, I don't care because I get what I want uh, in my brain and my yeah. heart by doing it. And then if somebody else wants it, I just don't want it to get where early on when I started forging, a guy reached out and said, would you make a, make a tomahawk for this guy that's going to retire? And I said, yeah, I will. And I took an order and man, I couldn't sleep that night because I, I was like, yeah. oh, I got to do, I, there wasn't art. No, it was a job. Oh, it's a job. So he called me a couple of days later. He goes, yeah, don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, okay, good. I'm done. I never have to do that again. And then he called me a couple of days later. He goes, Hey, I want to, I want to get that tomahawk. And I said, I don't take orders. And he goes, I just talked to you like a week ago. And I said, yeah. And since then I, I said, I talked to a guy and he wanted to place an order and it made me have angst. And now I'll never do that again. He goes, Oh, so now what do we do? And I said, well, you wait well, while I make something. If you like it, you can get it. So then he ended up getting one from me. Well, here, here's, so here's what I see. I'll give you a different perspective on that. As a person who's been involved in trying to help other people for a while here, the, the money is the fuel that helps these humans. And for you to take this art and have that then go become the fuel to help these other humans, that's like you're doing art, but pieces of it have a higher purpose. And that speaks to me. Yeah, it, it's... I had a guy from New York, my buddy, Steve, and this guy's awesome. He's just a super guy. I hope he doesn't watch this because I don't want him to know that I like him, but good, just a good dude. But he saw a, a Viking ax that I made and I had embellished it with, and the one that I did for, and I didn't do it for, for Craig. I, he just saw what I'd done. And on that one, I'd inlaid brass, which is, that's, I did that because 
people said I couldn't figure it out. So I just did it to prove that I could do it. And now I really like doing it because it makes me super focused. It'll take me two or three hours to do a, 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 a line that's like that long. Oh, I did a, I started out as going to do a snake and I'm like, why would I put a snake on there? Snakes are kind of gross, you know? I mean, I'm not a, I might like a snake guy, you know? So I changed that snake into an arrow. So it was an arrow that, that went up and the arrow is significant because I'm a special forces guy. And there's other significances there too. So I made this arrow and it, it kind of went back and forth. And then it, there was a point at the top and then the feathers were at the, the fletchings were at the rear. So I did this, this Viking one. And on that one, I wanted to try doing that, but I wanted the, the brass to go all the way around the tomahawk. I had no idea how difficult that was to do, but I did it. And it, it's, it, it's made me look at other people's work differently too, because when I see a guy that is the best in the business at doing that, I can find his little mistakes or things that could be done better. So it makes me happy because I can definitely point out things I could do better. I also put a trefoil in there, which is a, um, a Viking symbol, and it has other meaning to me as well. But I put that in the middle. I had all this, and then I put these other pins at the bottom. There's these three pins that also have meaning to me. And this guy saw it, and he's like, how did you, how did you do the, the handle? And what he didn't understand was God put that there. We don't, we, we don't put that there. God put that there. So when you look at this and and how beautiful that is, it's there. It's just got to be, it's got to be done a certain way so that we can see it. So what the old timers used to do, they would take nitric acid and metal shavings and they'd mix them together. And it's hard to get nitric acid that's strong enough to do this now. You have to kind of, you can't get it on Amazon, you know, because that stuff is all watered down. You mix that up and it makes this slurry that they call aquafortis. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I know what it is. So you take that, this gets all polished up. We lift the grain with some water. And you know this, Al, because you're a woodworking dude too. You lift the grain with water to see where any high spots are. And we work that again and get it polished down to like a four or a hundred or 600 grit sandpaper, which is not super slippery. And then we take Aquafortis and my wife will put that on there. Now I did this one, but usually she does the handles. Put that Aquafortis on there and the Aquafortis turns this all green, but you'll see some darker green lines in here. I mean, it's green, like, like incredible Hulk green. It's like this gross green. Once it's green like that, then she takes it and she takes a heat gun and she heats it up. And as she heats it up, it turns red and it turns kind of a I don't want to, tomato is not quite the right color, but it's a very different red. It's not pretty. It's, it's kind of gross looking. She heats that up. It turns that color. And then you're like, okay, now I can really see the grain. And then you put walnut oil on it or whatever oil you're going to use. Walnut oil is, is, is very pretty oil. So put that on there and that grain pops out. So he picked up this, not this one, but the one I made. And he's like, dude, how did you burn those marks in there? And I said, man, I didn't, that's, that's absolutely how that piece of wood was. And it looks like turtle shell. And, and like I said, God put that there. We didn't put it there. God put it there. Yeah. So we just have to, you know, we just have to do that. And that's the other fun thing too. My wife and I do this together. So I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll just hand her something and go here, we'll do whatever you want to do. And then she'll come back with something that I would have never come up with. We're both creative in our own ways, you know? So it's, it's very, very fun. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you and Melinda are both doing so many different things together on the big picture of your business and the foundation and then the art. Well, let me ask you another question. What are some of the, what are some of the examples of what Stay in the Fight Foundation has done? Okay. So I think, I don't think we talked about this since we actually started recording, right? Jess, I think we talked about it before. So Stay in the Fight Foundation, 100% goes to help people, not soldiers, not law enforcement officers, but humans. So we opened it up to everybody. If you donate a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars goes to help people. There's no, there's not one iota taken out for admin fees or 
for Melinda and I getting paid or anything like that. Nothing against those guys that want to do it that way, but I'm not going to donate my money to an organization where the largest majority of it goes to help them and not to help the people that they're saying they're going to help. And you, you guys, you've been in this organ, you've been around enough to know kind of how that works. So when we fought, well, the reason we started doing this, my wife went in for surgery and she had to be on oxycodone for five days before that surgery. And it jacked her up for two months. So she was only on it for five days. When she got her surgery, she was off of it. And still for two months, she was not herself. So you think about soldiers and how they get fed those pills like like nothing. And this, hey, go go home. Here's your profile. Go home. Take this medication. So that was the first thing. The second, what did it do to her? Her, my wife is very religious. I mean, she's not like Bible thumper, but like she's very focused on, she's just, she's very focused on herself with, you know, her beliefs and everything. And she was having like super dark, like dark thoughts. So I haven't got into the, she, I've tried to get into it. She, she's kind of like, that's behind me now. So she doesn't want to talk about it. But that was the first thing. The second thing was when she went in for her surgery, they prepped her for surgery and they're about to roll her in. They had the goofy little hat on and all this stuff, you know, and they're about to roll her in and they come in, they go, oh, we got to cancel your surgery because your insurance didn't get approved. And we're like, well, we're military. We got insurance. It's, it's there. You just have to, yeah. nope, it's not approved. Yeah. So I looked at my wife and she goes, checkbooks in the middle compartment of the truck. So I went down and got a checkbook out of her truck and came up there and I wrote a check for her surgery. And then I wrote another check for the anesthesiologist. And, you know, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was more money than I would have had when I first got out of the army. Yeah. So when she came out of this and she, she got out of that funk of the, of the oxycodone, she said, we're going to start a nonprofit. And I'm like, no, back away. You know, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that because I saw my buddies with no legs yeah. go across the stage and a bunch of money, bunch of money gets changed yeah. hands and, and they go back to their crappy life, yeah. you know, and the sympathy industry. Yeah. Yeah. So she tells me, she goes, here's what we're going to do. And she laid it out. She'd been thinking about, it. she goes, we're going to start a foundation. And first of all, it's going to be for everybody. Second of all, we're not taking a penny out of it. And then third, and I, she didn't even get to that. I said, I'm in because if we're not taking a penny mm -hmm. and it's going to help everybody, I'm in. So the things that we, yeah. I'll just give you kind of a, yeah. a, a broad brushstroke. So we had a, a soldier came to us and said, the military has told us that my daughter has to have head surgery or we can get a helmet, but they will only do the invasive part of cracking this little, this is like a tiny little girl. They'll crack her skull open and do that, but they won't spend the two or $4,000 or whatever for this helmet that she can wear. And then six months later, she'll be the same as if she got her head cracked open. And we had had a relative that had that and, and the little dude come out perfect with his little helmet, you know, and was a no brainer. We're like, yeah, you're in the military, but they won't pay for it. Boom. So the decision process isn't a board or anything like that. It's Melinda yeah. saying, no, this is, this is legit. You know, we don't pay them. We pay the bill. So send them a check to the, they sent us the bill. We paid the bill. Little girl got her helmet. And six months later, she's perfect. She's, you, you, I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing at all wrong with her. It's just that she had like a soft spot in her head or something. That's awesome. So that's one thing. I'm driving back from a range one day with a special forces guy. And I said, Hey man, how's that TBI training going or, or not going, but not training, I guess the treatment or whatever. He goes, it's good. Except for the stupid military won't pay for this one. It's not a drug. It was like a, a supplement he was supposed to take. They wouldn't pay for it. I'm like, why won't they pay for it? Well, it doesn't the, the military doesn't say that it that it's something that works for TBI. Now, the guy that's treating him is the Denver Broncos guy that treats 
you know, football players for TBI. Yeah. So I called Melinda. I said, hey, this dude's got this stuff he needs to take. Can we pay for that? She goes, yeah, have him fax me or, or, or PDF me, you know, that we'll pay it. So within a couple of days, he had his money mm-hmm. and he had his supplement and he's doing awesome, you know? That's great. Recently, and there's been a bunch of other stories like that. Recently, we've been putting the word out locally. We try to put the word out with EMS and law enforcement, not, mm-hmm. not because they're going to be the guys that give us donations, but they're going to send us customers. So yeah. recently we've helped a lot of women that are battered and abused that Mm -hmm. they get put into a home and for them to get back on their own, they have to be able to pay two months worth of rent and do all this stuff. And we're helping with that as well. I will say our stipulations to get something from stay in the fight are pretty strenuous compared to a lot of others out there. The very first question is, do you have a job? And if the answer is no, then we, we, we can't help you. If you don't have a job, we, there's other places that you can go for help. If you're extremely poor, we can't help you. And if you're extremely rich, we can't help you. We're trying to help the blue collar men and women that, that have hit a point in their life that we can get them over that hump. They're not yeah. looking for freebies. They're not looking for handouts. They're looking to mm-hmm. get to the next, okay, yeah, I got that taken care of. Now I can continue with my life. You know, because if, like I said, if we wouldn't have had that money to pay for that surgery and eventually the military did pay, it took like two years. And finally they said, oh yeah, by the way, you're good now. And they had said initially, have you tried acupuncture? And we said, well, do you pay for acupuncture? No. Well, then why are you even asking if we've, if we've tried it, you know? So anyway, that's kind of, that's, that's where, that's where it's at, Al. Yep. Steve Cashin runs one called the Third Option Foundation. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Yeah. So within the intelligence community, there are some gaps similar to what you just described with people coming home and having various kinds of health issues that weren't necessarily covered by their deployment insurance or whatever. And, you know, folks that, you know, Steve and Jody worked with that crowd. And so he is now the president or CEO, I think, of Third Option Foundation, and he's doing a lot of good work as well. Go ahead, Jess. Well, I'm so excited about this. And, and Kyle, I love that you've picked a population that there isn't there isn't always a lot of options for. And and you and I like that you know who you want to help and you're passionate about it. But everybody listening needs to know where they can donate. Is there a website? Do they can they email yeah. you? How do how can we do this? So if you go to vikingtactics.com, our normal website, if you put stay in the fight foundation in, make sure you go to our stay in the fight foundation. Since we started it, another dude started one that's the same name. With, oh, I, he's got one other word on the end. I forget what it was, but anyway. Go to our website and there's at the very top of our website, it says stay in the fight foundation. Click on that. and It'll take you to a page where you can donate. So the, you can do the donations as a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars or whatever you want to do. If you want to get credit for your taxes, then you can contact us. Just hit contact us, send us an email. You can send us a check and we can send you the correct paperwork so that you get your tax right off for that as well. I've had dudes that served with me in Somalia that I don't even know that have got on there and donated thousands of dollars. Other soldiers that have got on there and donated. I had a, this, there's one, I have a, a very good friend at, at uh, SIG Academy, a guy named Chris Cavallero. And Cav was one of these guys that said, if you ever make a knife like this, I'd be interested. And he sent me a picture of a knife and I looked at it and I thought, I've never made anything like that. And for some, it's a kind of a goofy, like a ring knife and all this. And I thought, I should really try to make that. So I, I destroyed a bunch of tools making this knife. And I finally made it. And I said, go on there and make a donation. And he goes on there and he starts dropping $100 donations. And my wife goes, yeah, Chris.
Christmas. Oh, he just made it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. So I had to call him up and say, dude, stop. I mean, this guy is a like a working class dude. And I had to tell him, dude, just stop. You got the knife and you've given plenty of money. You're good. You know, I don't want people to go in the poorhouse because they're trying to donate to us. Last year, and this is a, a, a bit of trivia that probably doesn't matter to you guys, but matters to me. We were within 30 cents of what we took in and what went out. So somebody's looking out for us that we would <laughs> yeah. take that kind of donations in and we would spend within 30 cents and not even, we we had, we weren't tracking that. But at the end of the year, Melinda said, check this out. This is crazy. And uh, Or you could just attribute it to Melinda being good at spending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's do this. I know we're over time and I'm sure you guys have things to get to. Maybe in just a minute or so, Kyle, you know, you're this guy who's well-known in the community. Your time at Mogadishu, which the movie Black Hawk Down was based on the the shooting the books all these things and i'm sure you get asked by people for stuff all the time hey kyle can you do this people are maybe they're they're seeing you as a as a something they can use to get done what they want to get done because it happens to people who have some credibility so what was it about the the story of asthma Pygear when al called you and said hey you know could could you help me out with helping this girl that made you say yeah i'll put out some posts i i want to i want to be on team asthma yeah it- Here's the thing. I don't like freeloaders and she's not a freeloader. That girl's getting busy. She's not afraid. No, she's just not afraid. I mean, she's been through more than 99.9%, 99.9999% of Americans have ever been through. And we look at our kids and think they're bold and courageous. No, that's a girl that's truly bold and courageous and she's she's getting it done. Yeah, and I, I, I don't, I mean, you would have to be a heartless, stupid man not to support that girl. I mean, look, I mean, what, what did we have to do? Nothing. All we had to do is, you know, post and try to get some, and, and she still needs more money to finish college. So don't stop doing that. Make sure people are still sending cash in to, to help her out. But yes, I don't know. She just, I've never met her. And, and she's, I mean, I'm, I'm very inspired by what she's done and not only her, but her sister and now her family's here. I mean, the story continues. And along with all of that is Al Buford. And I, if Al says she's good to go, that's all that's got to be said. She, so she, she and her sister live with our family for a year and we, she worked, she got a job. As soon as she got her work permit, she got a job at the Fauquier County pool, checking people in and out of the swimming pool. And she worked there all summer long. You know, it's about two miles from my house. So I would drive her and drop her off at work and then pick her up in the evenings and she saved her money. And then her, her, her family finally made it here. Kyle, when you, I appreciate how much time you've given here. If you want to leave on, on one note, what do you want to leave people with today? Wake up every day and do something for somebody else. Don't I think about it. yourself. Do something for somebody else. All these soldiers out there that are saying, oh, I got these problems and I've got this and I need to get my mind right. The best way to get your mind right is do something for somebody else every day. It makes a difference. I love it. And then Al, where, if people want to donate to Asthma, who, you know, at this time last year was escaping the Taliban and now due to a lot to your efforts is actually in college as of this week, where can they donate to that? Yep. If you go to GoFundMe and type in Asthma Pygear, A-S-M-A, last name is Pygear, P-A-I-G-E-E-R, her fundraiser is there. And she is, we just dropped her off at Virginia Tech and she needs money to help with her continued tuition and, and living expenses. Duh, I love it so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye now. <laughs>